Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Now, Sid, uh, you share your uh, your episode titles with me before we begin, so I have some idea of what we're talking about. That's right. And I got to be honest, this one, uh, the champion's having trouble making heads or tails of. Well, we uh, we haven't had what I would consider a really, a really gross one in a while, right? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, do, I mean, do you like the gross ones? Yeah. If you don't, uh, this one has pus right there in the title. <clears throat> yeah, there's some pus. Well, I mean, a some. Of, a lot. A lot. Of, like, that's, it's right there in the title. It's folks. a lot about that. Truth and advertising Just here. to get out ahead of it, yeah. that is what I'm going to be. It's not a cute, not a cute nickname or something about. less gross. No. Purulent material or pus i'm not sure i you know what i'm taking my own temperature to see how i feel i don't actually get a buy week on sawbones i just kind of have to have to uh, grip my teeth and bear it we uh we haven't really dug down deep into infections of the skin before that's, a, that's is know? that a pun no were you being punny there because well, they could be superficial infections as well here she goes we and you as you may imagine we've been getting infections in our skin as long as we have you know had skin so since i mean at least since dinosaur times easy well there weren't humans then Hmm. so agree to disagree no that's mm, no science show okay how do we know what color they were dinosaurs gotcha are you asking me what color i don't justin your honor the case is closed we know what color dinosaurs were so we saw some of them (laughs) We didn't. We Your don't. Honor, if it pleases the court, dinosaurs are green, and we know that because we saw them. No, we don't. I'm sure that there are good science guesses that could be made about that, but that's not science. We didn't guesses? see them. Yeah, Sydney, I prefer science fact. And the fact is, we know what color dinosaurs are because we saw them and wrote it down. I remember sometimes in class, in science classes, they would ask. Do we have a hypothesis as to the answer? So like, a, a you know, a guess based on information, something like a, mm-hmm. you know, that would make sense based on known facts. And then if nobody had a hypothesis, they would say, does anybody have a swag? What's a swag? It was a scientific wild. I can't say the word on the podcast, but but starts with an A. Got it. Guess. 
And that's the next step. That's, a, that's the next step. Lower. And then there's, there's the thing that I do, which is one step below that. You, just, you make stuff up and I have to stop you because we're trying to spread the truth. So we got skin. Speaking of spreading stuff, we got skin and we get uh, infections in it. Yes, because it is our it's our first line of defense, right? Mm-hmm. It's the thing that gets hit first by the bugs because it's out there out there on the front lines mm-hmm. of our bodies mm-hmm. the skin and uh, i want to talk about the, specifically if in case you're curious this episode is going to address the concept in medical history of laudable pus see heads or tails no idea laudable like good mm-hmm. impressive pus like applaudable applaudable pus mm-hmm. except laudable got it so i like laudable it always makes me think of people like you know when you clasp your hands together and go like hooray for me hooray and like shake them above your head he's a delicate pass exactly i got it so let's let's go over a couple different terms for skin infection and then get into what what is laudable pus why did we ever think pus was laudable and how did we get to a point where we maybe knew a little bit better so first of all, you may have heard the term cellulitis. Yes. It's an infection of the skin. It usually involves, it, it can start superficially like on the top and move deeper into the lower la- layers of the dermis and into the fat. Um, there's also a similar infection called erysipelas, which is just depends on what layers of skin. Okay. And these are usually infections where there isn't necessarily pus. There might be, but most of the time it's more like hot, red, warm, swollen, tender, you know. Infection looking. Yes, right? Um, On the other hand, there's an abscess. And an abscess is going to be full of pus by definition. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a collection of pus. It's either in the dermis or the subcutaneous tissue to the dermis, but it is a, it's like, I usually describe it to patients as like a little water balloon full of pus in your in your tissues got it it's down in there loving it and you could either have like one water balloon which we could call like a furuncle <laughs> so that means it has one opening is usually <laughs> a good way to think about it. it has one sinus tract or opening to the surface mm-hmm. up to like the air you know so that's where the pus comes out sometimes when i was a kid watching disney afternoon i would pretend that blue the bear was my fur uncle you know he's <laughs> just so kind and it went on so many amazing adventures, you know. It mm-hmm. could have been me and Kit Cloud Kicker mm-hmm. just hanging up there with my fur uncle Baloo, the bear. Who is your carbuncle? What? <laughs> my um my my uncle pasta. My, what? My uncle pasta Doug is my carb uncle. Because mm. he, he would always bring pasta for the whole family to it's enjoy. A, it's a it's a stretch there. Mm-hmm. A carbuncle is the same idea, except there are multiple openings. You can Google these if you are so inclined to look at pictures so that you know what we're talking about, the difference between a furuncle and a carbuncle. I wouldn't. But the basic idea is that Facebook instead of, will be like, hey, I heard you like this nasty, nasty stuff. Do you want to buy a scarf with this on it? a whole show. Dr. Pimple Popper. Whole show about this kind of thing. People love this stuff. <sighs> I... Chilly. I'm just saying it's out there. Anyway, so a carbuncle would, like I said, have multiple little white heads on it that could drain pus. Ugh. Like a bunch of like separate furuncles coalesce together to form sort of like a bunch of grapes. Come on. 
I'm just saying this okay. is this is what they are. You need to understand where we're coming from. They both result from glad the I, same. I already finished my fajitas, by the way. <laughs> All of this results from the same thing. Bacteria gets in where it shouldn't be. Right. And a lot of times people will, a lot of patients will tell me like, I don't, I didn't have a cut. I don't understand how this could have happened. Like I don't, there was no damage to my skin. I didn't have an accident. I didn't cut myself and the thing scratched me. How did this happen? And it, that's the thing about bacteria is they're really small. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't take. Microscopic, some might say. <laughs> everyone should say. It doesn't take a large opening for them to get through. It just the tiniest little cracked uh, skin or inflamed hair follicle, anything. And a bacteria can slip down in there and, you know, set up shop. And the thing is, like, we're covered in bacteria and that's fine. We should be. It's no problem. Uh, but you, there's bacteria you'll want to keep on the outside and bacteria that's good on the inside and never the twain shall meet. Right. And so, Except they do. The twain are meeting all the time. Yes, constantly. That is the human condition. So you get a crack in your skin, some staph or strep that's on your skin that should be out there, gets in there. It starts growing and it, it goes forth and multiplies <laughs> and has a lot of little staph or strep babies. Adorable. And then you get an infection, and that, and that's how it happens. The most most often, that's how that's how it happens. Now, when we look back to the ancient world, uh, there the biggest there are a lot of differences as to how we would have treated these kinds of things. Um, first of all, it should be noted we didn't know they were infections. Obviously, when we go back to ancient history, we did not know that bacteria were causing these. Right? Mm-hmm. We had no idea. We didn't know about germs yet. The germ theory of disease was many, many years from developing. So we uh, and there were people who from time to time would postulate that there was a contagion, some sort of invader that caused these things. But we didn't know that. Uh, And so the biggest difference when we had these skin infections in the ancient world is that pus was seen as a step in the healing process. Hmm. So it wasn't just. Like now we would think that the infection, the, the pus itself, the, the, the infection is the problem. Whereas in the ancient world, you. That's you, how you know it's working. Yes. Pus, pus will happen. It is part of, it is a step in the process. So both Hippocrates and Galen wrote about how, you know, a, a wound is going to produce what they described as like a thick white Pus, not necessarily uh, particularly foul smelling, but definitely like lots and lots of thick white pus. And that is part of the healing process. So when you would get a wound of some sort or if there was like a like an abscess or something, you would want to clean it, get rid of any obviously dead tissue. That was always part of the process. If, if part of the tissue looked dead and ragged and something that you couldn't recover, you got rid of it. Um and then after that, the focus was just on like keeping it covered. So you would usually use some like greased wool or some sort of bandage with some sort of ba- the grease was like a barrier. Yeah, you know, it's not the worst idea. No, it really wasn't. And then you would try to keep it dry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you would do other things to try to help you heal. Things that at the time like 
balancing your humors, right? We had the humoral so system important. of medicine yeah. where you had to keep your four humors in balance. And so like, as if you had a big wound and it was healing, then the next steps would be, okay, we've packed that with some greasy wool. Uh, why don't you try to, you know, eat a really healthy diet and get plenty of sleep and exercise and stay away from hot foods and only drink these cool things and don't get too much blood make sure you have yeah, plenty of so important you know all that kind of not too much phlegm and whatever um but the idea was that even back then no matter how clean you kept the wound it was probably going to get infected right right because we had no we didn't know what no was we, we didn't know what we were doing right so you may as well see pus as a good sign <laughs> i guess that's an optimistic way of looking at it so because it was going to happen kind of an abscess is half full kind of deal um and and if you consider hey that was good wow just kind of blow right past it. Sorry. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Uh, sorry. I was getting excited about the next part. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, why wouldn't it you It was be? good though. Would you say it was laudable? However, if would, you're... Would you say it was laudable? <laughs> that was better. However, uh, this partially was probably because we understood pretty early on that the thing to do for an abscess was open it. Mm. And if anyone has ever had an abscess out there or what you might call a boil, they're, mm. they're very commonly like colloquially called boils, you know that opening them is the key. Antibiotics are great. Nowadays we have them. That's fantastic. But until you open them, they're not going to heal. Uh, and we knew that from Hippocrates on. We knew that in ancient times. So anytime you would have an abscess, obviously pus was going to be part of the healing process. You had to see the pus because you got to open it up drain out all the pus, allow it to keep draining, and that's the only way it's ever going to heal. Um, and Hippocrates had a saying, uh, ubi pus ibi evacua. Meaning? Where there is pus, there evacuated. Oh, that's nice. It's I know. Punchy. So could I have that on a T-shirt, I you guess, got it. is yeah. the reason I'm doing this topic for we'll get, a podcast. We'll get on it. I need that. It's It's so critical. I think it applies to a lot of different things in life. No, just for abscesses and other, you know, skin infections. But my, my point is that where there is pus, you need to evacuate. It's so important. Mm -hmm. I'll keep that in mind by looking at the T-shirt that we're going to make. Please get me this T-shirt. It's in Latin. People won't know. Okay. Except those who are in the know. And they're going to think it's really cool. Uh, really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were other spins on like the same basic concept. If you look to different medical traditions, same ideas, but like the Egyptians were big fans of honey as well, but they did the same things with like the grease wool. They usually would dip it in wine too. Um, and then let it, let it heal. Same kinds of ideas. You see this in uh, Indian Ayurvedic medicine. There was a lot of focus on keeping a wound clean. There was a, a lot of different, and we've gone through some of this, like different methods of suturing wounds. Um, not so much on the pus. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, that's interesting. Cause like we, we tend to think about like, when we look at this concept of laudable pus that is really going to throw us back many centuries in medicine soon in this story, mm -hmm. uh, you can't blame it on these other medical traditions because in Indian medicine, they knew that like this wasn't, the pus was not necessarily a great thing. It, it happened a lot. It was mm -hmm. accepted that it happened a lot. Um, but that wasn't something that was associated with the concept of healing. Same thing in like traditional Chinese medicine. Mm. Um, there was a lot of focus on clean the wound, suture it up, and then 
kind of like the humoral system, get all your body systems in harmony. Um, pus may be a, a natural consequence of all of this, but just like, let's get through it because it's like another challenge in the healing process. Okay. Um, but was really, what was really interesting is that Galen got really focused on pus, on the importance of pus. And he wrote a lot about how intrinsic it was to the healing process. Now, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not these writings have been misinterpreted or had been. I should say we know better now. But um, Galen probably didn't think that pus had to happen as much as it was accepted as an inevitable consequence. Mm -hmm. But his writings were interpreted as that it must occur. You have to have it or you won't get better or you won't get better that pus, if you don't see pus, then it's not moving in the right direction. So like packing a wound with wool that was soaked in grease and wine and all this stuff is all well and good. But like you have to have the pus. And when we move forward into like um, Avicenna and some of the like Islamic medicine traditions that followed, they agreed with this way of thinking and thought like, you know, we need to follow in the Galenic tradition uh, and whatever we have to do to like get this wound clean and then make sure that pus happens is important because he writes so much about pus. This must be important. So cauterizing a wound, not just to stop the bleeding, but to make sure that like you saw that kind of tissue damage that would eventually arise, like you would get these like really gross wounds, <laughs> like and other things that you could do to ensure that pus happened became very important. And that's where you see it wasn't until really the Middle Ages and moving forward from even that based on these writings that you see people start to use the term laudable pus and that it becomes uh, like not just a passive concept that pus is OK, it's fine, it's going to happen, don't worry about it as an active concept. Well, what can we do to get the pus cooking? What can we do to make sure that this clean, healing, dry wound that looks great gets a ton of pus? <laughs> and that's classic when, us. That's when things get really nasty. Okay, I'm I'm braced. I'm ready. Well, I'm going to take you there, but before we do that, let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got at two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat, there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. 
get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Okay, Sid, you warned me things were about to get, quote, really nasty at this point. <laughs> so, as I said, we get to an idea where it, it becomes less of a passive concept and now it's more of an active concept. We're going to make pus happen. If you're, if, you have, if you're taking a step back here and, and thinking, like, why in the world would we have thought this was true? Uh, one possible theory to keep in mind so that everybody who does this doesn't seem like they've gone totally, you know, wild with their ideas Um if you look at a chronic wound infection, and I will, if you think about like from a medical standpoint, what would have been observed? If you have a wound that is slowly healing, but then gets some bacteria in it, and so then pus starts happening, and especially like that thick white pus that we're thinking about, this is usually an infection that's treatable through drainage, through antisepsis. I mean, nowadays we have antibiotics. That's all well and good. But like these were infections that people even back then would probably have survived. Okay. And not lost a limb. These were, these were the more mild types of infections. The infections that didn't cause a lot of that pus would have been like necrotizing fasciitis. The kinds of infections, like what you think about as the flesh eating bacteria, that's what everybody likes to call it, right? The flesh eating bacteria necrotizing fasciitis Mm -hmm. uh these kinds of infections don't tend to produce a ton of that like thick white pus that we think about they're they're, they're not as purulent as like they just sort of destroy all the tissue very quickly and they kind of liquefy and so if if you're comparing that to uh uh-oh this wound is like the all the tissue is turned really black and necrotic and there's just this thin, watery, very smelly substance coming out of it. 
as opposed to, oh, the wound still looks the same, except now it's got pus on it. That's obviously the better option. So we're talking about a confusion of causation versus correlation, right? The wounds that had pus tended to get better. So the connection was made that they needed to get pus to get better. Right. Gotcha. So this is probably where some of these concepts, like why they solidified, why they took the writings of Galen, which we very much think now, looking back at them, that he was not saying, please cause pus in a wound. He was saying, well, it's better than the alternative. And by the Middle Ages, we started saying the the, it, for, the Latin was pus bonum et laudable, meaning laudable pus. And it was the mainstay of wound management. So you wouldn't just clean a wound, remove the dead tissue and let stuff happen. Now you had to clean the wound, get the dead tissue out of there and then do whatever it took to make sure that it got really nasty. (laughs) Um, And the thing is, we didn't understand. We still didn't know how to form pus because we didn't know why it, why it was forming to begin with, right? Like mm-hmm. we just still didn't understand germs. We still didn't understand bacteria. We didn't know infection. So we had to, so we looked for other things like, well, when that happens to a wound, it also tends to look at what we would, what we already identified as the signs of inflammation, uh, rubor, dolor, mm-hmm. the swelling, redness, edema, pain, these, these, um, you know, these date back to ancient times, these concepts of mm-hmm. like what, inflammation looks like and when inflammation was there pus tended to be there so if you could do something that caused inflammation maybe you could also ensure that the wound would become purulent and so uh there were a lot of different techniques introduced to like irritate a wound to apply caustic substances to a wound to just make it grosser and worse yes so it would get inflamed and purulent. Um, there were people who fought back against this there was a, a writer uh theodoric Borgognoni, who was a very prolific writer from the late 1200s, and he read about all these ideas of laudable pus and said, I think we maybe got it wrong, that either Galen was wrong or we are misinterpreting Galen, but something about this seems really whack, and I think we should just clean the wound. He did believe in cauterizing it to stop the bleeding, and it would, you know, if you burn the wound, it stops the bleeding. And then just leave it be, and everybody was like, Theodoric's so stupid. He's so dumb. <laughs> He's so dumb. He Can thinks you pus is bad. This guy right here, he thinks pus is bad. He's so stupid, and everybody spoke out against him. I mean, vehemently spoke out against him. And, and to be fair, it wasn't just this idea. It was to go against Galen. Yeah. <gasps> Shock. I mean, how could you believe that somebody, you know, hundreds of years ago didn't know exactly what they exactly were what they were doing? Uh, and so there was another surgeon, uh, Guy de Chaliac, who wrote. Uh, I trust this guy more already, by the way, because <laughs> his name's Guy. Seems yeah, seems relatable. Guy was like, oh my gosh, Theodoric is so wrong. And he's so stupid. And I'm going to write so much about how stupid he is and how right Galen was and how important pus is and how, look, the more things, basically more is more. He was like a really like into over accessorizing a wound kind of guy. Like the more stuff we can do to this wound. Glue some rhinestones on there. Really bedazzle it up. (laughs) More is more is more. The better. And please don't listen to Theodoric because he's so wrong. And it's and if you look at like how much he wrote about it and how Guy Deshaliac became like the guy, I mean, he was Guy the guy. 
He was the guy who knew about wound healing at this point in the Middle Ages. Everyone read his books. Everybody ignored Theodoric and everybody followed in his tradition, which said, do everything you possibly can to a wound to make it gory. Yeah. And and once the pus forms, you're on the right track. So much so that um, Garrison and his history of medicine, which is like a giant tome about the whole history of medical history, uh, writes that he probably set uh, antisepsis in surgery back like six centuries <laughs> because of how vocal he was about this concept. I mean, it would take it would take Lister to undo this. 600 years later. <laughs> so this is so this is when we see wound management become instead of just like I don't know, clean it out and get it dry and cross your fingers and hope things work. That's rough. And we start seeing like all right, put some stuff on it. You got some herbs, make a paste, make a poultice. Do you have a hot iron? Maybe some hot tar. Do you have chalk? How about some copper? Cobwebs are huge. Keep cobwebs with you at all times so you can stuff those cobwebs in any wound that happens. Cook up some egg whites. Dump those on there. Honey, well, of course, everybody loves yeah, honey. Yeah, honey there. But also some vinegar and maybe some radishes. It sounds like me ordering at Cold Stone. <laughs> Could do you have turpentine? Yeah, turpentine. Can you dump a little bit of that in there? How about some turpentine? Powdered snail shells. Mmm, nice little bit of crunch. Pigeon blood. Yeah, sure. Some lizard dung. No, thank you. No, you know what? I will. It's it's Saturday. I'll treat myself. It was really the approach to healing a wound at this point was definitely more of a uh, uh, nurture over nature. Mm. <laughs> that the the idea was that it was not going to heal itself. Well, that's true. When does the body ever do that? Well, constantly. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey. All right. I'm with you. Man, you made me worried there. But it really was this idea that your body cannot heal itself, which of course is not true. And so we need to do everything we possibly can to, to, you know, move this wound along so that it will indeed heal. Um, the plasters were very popular. Uh, like a, uh, like a bandage. Or a bandage or like a big, thick plaster cast. Uh, see, Peppa Pig has messed me up because they call mm -hmm. bandages plasters. <laughs> so you could put a big, thick plaster cast around it, which was like a it, it's funny because as you read about this, this would later actually help in fixing the problem. Because once you put these big, thick plaster casts around them, you can't touch them. But also they would create like a... Um, a plaster of pus, essentially. Oh, yum. Like they would get soaked through with pus from these separating wounds. And you'd just get like this <laughs> very unpleasant leg or arm. Okay. Uh, poultices, of course, tinctures. Just irritate it. Noxious substances were very important. Um, and, and in addition to things like animal dung and herbal paste or whatever, yeah, or that. just, or just cut it off. I mean, that was the other option hey, that was given. Yeah, it was like, you know what, forget. let's also remember, we do not know what we're doing. We are making it uh, everything up. And so maybe amputation, yeah. which isn't great. We don't have anesthesia. Oof. Yeah. That's a rough day. Rough but afternoon. Maybe. Not so, a great survivability rate also on that one. <laughs> This concept of doing a bunch of stuff to produce this laudable pus, this important, uh, applaudable, <laughs> uh, worthy, worthy of a standing ovation pus, this persisted until the late 1800s. 
Oh man. We you don't see the the complete like the the death knell on this concept is not really until the very early 1900s. There's like a mention of it in like 1916, but then it's like it's being mentioned as like a I think we can all agree that this was this is probably wrong now, right? right. We should have thought of this several hundred years ago. <laughs> this is a bad idea. We let this one go too long. It was really, it started with Lister with the idea of antiseptic technique and that germs cause a wound to be infected. And so if you can keep the wound clean and don't let germs in, the pus never forms. And that's better, not worse, because infection is always a bad thing in a wound. You don't want infection in a wound whatever sure, right. the material seeping from the infected wound looks like. Um, so he started with pr- putting carbolic acid in the in the wounds, and that definitely did keep them cleaner, kept infection at bay. Still antiseptic or, or anesthesia, though? No. With the carbolic acid? No, not necessarily, no. Oof. No, uh-uh. So I, and, that's, and that was the trade-off, too. Like, and we've talked about this in things like the uh, hydrogen peroxide episode like if you're going to put caustic substances on a wound that do kill bacteria um, they're also going to damage tissue Mm. so there was a trade-off at one point in medical history where we started putting stuff on wounds that probably did do a pretty good job of killing any pathogens but also like you know you your tissue your skin and prevented healing which is why it's a little we've said this before on the show but i i hear it so frequently i think it bears mentioning Please do not continue to put those substances on wounds. I know a lot of people get excited about like they just cut themselves like outside and it's dirty. So they want to go dump like alcohol or hydrogen peroxide on it or whatever to clean it out. And I mean, I guess, you know, it's dirty, whatever. I, you're not going to do too much damage initially to the wound, but then please don't ever do that again to it. Because mm. every time you continue to apply that substance, you're preventing healing. Mm. Good to know. Yeah. That initial time, if there are germs, yes, you've killed them. Great job. Now stop, go put it away. Give it to someone else if you can't help yourself. <laughs> hand, hand it to a friend you can trust and say, don't give this back to me until my my cut heals. <laughs> um, please don't continue to dump it on it because it, it will all it's going to do is damage the tissue at that point. It's not doing anything good for you. Um, and go see a doctor if you're worried. But anyway, so Lister introduced this idea that like, what if we just don't cause an infection? Of course, this was radical, um, but enough evidence eventually, you know, was collected that this was true. And when we look into like the following world wars, this is really where we see like wound management. We've talked about this before on the show. This kind of wound management really takes off during, unfortunately, during major world conflicts because there's a lot of wounds created. And so a lot of improved wound management techniques Mm -hmm. um, are, are found and they found pretty quickly that if they could, especially in, in like Spain and Italy um, during different conflicts there that if you could clean a wound debride it wrap it up in a plaster and keep it covered and don't let anybody touch it or mess with it even if it did form pus it was better and some of them didn't form pus and so like overall this was a better method Hmm. of wound care because uh, as they would say inspection is infection Hmm. the more you like look at it mess with it look at it and mess with it the more likely you are to infect it which is true yeah Um, and so like if you could try to prevent even even as we had a very vague understanding of the germ theory of disease, people were already understanding that, like, when you get your fingers in there, things get worse. Um, and so this this led to the idea that, OK, well, pus is not 
necessary for healing, but something we would rather avoid if possible. Um, and then antibiotics were the final end of this. It started with actually these like sulfa drugs, so, um, which we, the, the most popular sulfa drug you think of now is Bactrim. You've probably heard of sulfamethoxazole. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people have had this antibiotic. The first like the first antibiotics before penicillin, which was the first widespread systemic antibiotic, we had these like sulfa drug like powders that we could kind of sprinkle on wounds. And that was done like on the battlefield in an open wound. And that was somewhat effective. And then penicillin was the big thing. So somebody got a wound, shoot him with some penicillin right there, send him to the hospital. It didn't get infected. And obviously that was way superior to any method of wound healing that involved pus and infection. And so no more, no more laudable pus. Nowadays, that is how we treat cellulitis is with antibiotics. And when it comes to abscesses, it's still the same idea. Antibiotics are fantastic, but you got to drain them. You have to open them up. Get it out. Break up any loculations that are in there. Sometimes... It's like one balloon, like I said, one water balloon. And then sometimes it's sort of like a bunch of grapes. You don't need to do that again. And we so then got you got to break up all the little. Nope. Septations. That's it. Between all the grapes. You're done. All the little pockets. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We've really appreciated you. Ubi pus ebi evacua. Thank you, the taxpayers, for these. Very important. Medicines is the intro and outro of our program. Hey, thanks to Travis and Teresa McElroy for watching our children while we record this episode of Sawbones. We really appreciate it. If you like this show and uh, you want to hear something in a similar format but about uh, manners and etiquette, you should check out Schmanners. It's their show. And uh, if you don't listen to it and you and you like our show, you should check theirs out. I think you dig it. Uh, thanks to the Max Fun Network uh, for having us as a part of their extended podcasting family, and uh, thank you to you for uh, listening to our program. Uh, we hope you enjoyed yourself. If you uh, would be so kind, you can leave us a rating or review in in your podcast platform of choice, or you can just tell some friends about the show. We'd sure appreciate that. But. That is going to do it for us for this week, Sid. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. All right. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.